welcome to stat. I'm telling you all medical true crime stories, and it gets bizarre. Karen Wickham, yeah, she used to work in the R, and now she's sharing the knowledge. So let's get involved. Hey, funny and scary at the same time. Medical mysteries, all facts. She ain't lying. <laughs> so tune in the stat if you dare, 'cause crazy things can happen anytime, anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. Welcome to Stat. Shocking traumas and treatments, and I am your host, Karen Wickiam, coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Welcome, 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 wherever you are, whatever time it is, day, evening, night, I'm glad to have you with me. Thank you. Today's episode is about dissociative identity disorder, also known as multiple personality disorder. This disorder has come under a lot of scrutiny over the years. Many people feel that people are faking. They're looking for attention, that it isn't real. If you want to know how I feel, I believe that it's absolutely real. I think the mind is an incredible thing and what lengths it'll go to to cope under the worst trauma, abuse and torture is absolutely incredible. As usual, I did a lot of research. I found a lot of information and I looked for different video sources, audio sources, literature, studies, all that. And I have taken some excerpts from a really amazing documentary where they outline three cases. It's an older documentary, but I believe it's pretty relevant to this day. So I will present that to you as well. Before we get started, I'd like to give some shout outs. I got some really nice iTunes reviews and I got five of them this time around, which is really exciting. Thank you guys, keep it up, it means so much to me and it helps me get out there, get heard. So first, thank you to Cat dot. I don't know if it's dut or D-U-T. Thank you, Kat. Kim RN81. I think this may be one of the loveliest nurses that I've ever worked with. I'm not sure, but I think I know who it is. Kate from Ignorance Was Bliss Pod. She's got a new podcast. It's great. Go check it out. Jezebel279. Thank you. Jen from Wives Tales. She's one of the co-hosts there. Please go check that podcast out. And Al Farah, thank you. Thank you so much, you guys. Next, I would like to give a shout out to some new Patreon supporters. First of all, I want to say thank you to Jennifer Bell, Lisa Scheffler, and Lena Over. Thank you so much, you three. It's getting closer and closer to my goals. I'm so excited and hopefully one day I can do this full time and put out a podcast a week. That would be fantastic. Anyway, thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. So without further ado, let's get this party started. Dissociative Identity Disorder, also known as Split Personality, also known as Multiple Personality Disorder. It has been changed because Multiple Personality Disorder and split personality have negative connotations. So the medical term now is dissociative identity disorder, also known as DID, which 
I'm probably going to be referring to it throughout this episode because I get tongue-tied easily and my mouth gets full of words that are unusual and don't make a lot of sense. So great blooper reel stuff though, maybe in the future. Anyway, I've always had a great fascination for this subject. Our minds are incredible. The things our brains do on their own and our conscious thoughts. What our brain instinctively does to protect itself is incredible, even if the end result isn't all that great. The process is what amazes me, just like in the case of DID. Let's talk about it. What is the first thing that comes to mind? I think for most people, it is whatever the media, movies, books, and TV have fictionally portrayed it as. Sybil, The Three Faces of Eve, Psycho, Fight Club, and most recently, the movie Split. Oftentimes, this is falsely associated with violence, that people suffering from this are a danger to society. And of course, all it takes is for one person who has had this to act out violently, and then everyone with DID is painted with the same brush and is called dangerous, is to be feared. And of course, we know this is all a load of kablooey bunk, right? Right. Let's talk about the history of DID. There is some belief that DID may be de depicted in Paleolithic cave paintings. That's pretty cool. Others suggest that the history of DID dates back to reports of demonic possession that are now thought to be incidences of DID. Either way, it's clear that it has a long history and is not a new concept. In 1791, the first detailed account of exchanged personality, what they call it, then, was written about a 20-year-old German woman who began to speak French, perfect French, and behave like a French aristocrat, and spoke German with a French accent. When she was the French woman, she remembered everything she did, but as the German woman, she denied any knowledge of the French woman. DID was focused on for study between 1880 and 1920, and then in 1944. 67% of all known cases had been reported during that time period. Case reports then fell off dramatically, perhaps due to the increased diagnosis of schizophrenia and the rise of Freud. In the 1970s, DID rose dramatically after the publication of an extremely popular book called Sybil in 1973. The book had such a profound effect on society that it was thought that more cases of DID were reported than all of history since 1816 and the famous case of Mary Reynolds. Let's talk about Mary Reynolds for a sec. Dr. Samuel Latham Mitchell, in 1816, published an account entitled The Strange Case of Mary Reynolds in Harper's Magazine. Mary Reynolds was born in England in 1785 and moved to Pennsylvania. The Reynolds household was very religious and during her childhood, Reynolds was a melancholy girl and spent a significant time in religious devotions. At 19, she became blind and deaf for six weeks in what might have been a somatic disorder. Three months later, she suddenly forgot things that she had learned, eventually learned how to read and write, although her penmanship was crude. Mitchell described her at times as a buoyant and witty, fond of company and a lover of nature. After five weeks, she suddenly returned to her prior melancholy and deeply religious self. The alter egos switched between each other for 16 years until she reached her mid-30s, when she remained the buoyant, witty, 
Ego until she died at 61. So let's move ahead again to 1973 and the book Sybil. The story of Sybil is a whole incredible story in and of itself. Shirley Mason was the actual name of the woman in the book who was reported to have 16 personalities. This caused an incredible spike in reported cases of DID. Mason later admitted that she had faked these personalities under the threat and abuse of her psychiatrist. Here's a hint. You ready for it? This may or may not be the next big story that I am working on. Shh, don't tell anybody. Mason's admission did a lot of damage to the credibility of DID. I believe it's one of those unfortunate situations where one person's lie brings to question the validity of all true sufferers of the disorder. To this day, the controversy still rages on around DID, whether it is a true disorder or not. But it is in the DSM-5, which is the psychiatry Bible, so to speak, for all uh, mental illnesses, diagnosis, etc. And that's why it's called the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. 5, 5th edition. I believe that DID is a true mental illness. Whether or not you believe it, I'm going to give the facts to you and you can decide for yourself. Okay, what is the definition of dissociative identity disorder? It's a severe condition in which two or more distinct identities or personality states are present in and alternately take control of an individual. Some people describe it as an experience of possession person also experiences memory loss that is too extensive to explain by ordinary forgetfulness. DID is characterized by the fragmentation of separate personalities rather than the rapid increase of personalities. Also, the fragmented personalities exist in the absence of drugs, alcohol, or medical conditions that can cause hallucinations and confusion, such as seizures. Although DID occurs in all cultures, cultural traditions and religious beliefs have to be taken into consideration. An example of this would be children having an imaginary friend. That is not a mental illness. Previously known as multiple personality disorder, DID is one of several known dissociative disorders. So what is dissociation? Have you ever watched a great movie where you're so absorbed that you lose track of time and are not really aware of those around you? If you have, then you've experienced a very normal form of dissociation. Dissociation is a lack of concentration between thoughts, memories, surroundings, actions, or identity. Normal forms of dissociation are not problematic, whereas when dissociative disorders are defined, they have severe symptoms that cause problems in a person's life. What are the causes of dissociative disorders and DID? Dissociative identity disorder is not normally diagnosed until adulthood, but is thought to develop in childhood when severe, repeated, prolonged child abuse or neglect is taking place. Other elements of DID are disruptions in memory, awareness, identity, and or perception. Auditory hallucinations, hearing things, severe depression or being suicidal, anxiety and anxiety brought on by phobias, somatization, <laughs> Somatization, I always have a hard time with that word, which is a medical symptom with no discerned cause. Substance abuse, borderline personality features, like lack of trust, difficulty in relationships. People with DID develop it as an unconscious defense mechanism. They aren't aware 
that they're doing it. They remove themselves from trauma and go elsewhere for a period of time in order to cope. This defense mechanism protects a person's consciousness from the abuse by creating more than one personality whose job is to protect it. Other signs include amnesia or blackouts and absence of substance abuse. I already mentioned that one. The person referring to themselves as we. The person being told that they do things that they don't recall. They may find unfamiliar objects or samples of strange handwriting. Sleepwalking. Autonomic writing, which is uh, the person is writing in a state of a trance. Extreme phobias and fear. Difficulty parenting and responding to their own children. Problems trusting others. Hostility and anger. A sense of betrayal. Problems with sexual adjustment. Increased levels of sexual behavior. Sometimes prostitution. And substance abuse. Let's talk about some signs of DID in children. It's pretty rare that they diagnose DID in children just because it's such a complex disorder and it can mimic so many other ones. But if some of these symptoms are noticed, maybe early intervention can stop the progress of, of this trauma and abuse and the disorder itself. So here they are. The child appearing withdrawn, frightened or uninvolved, being considered different with an unclear reason as to why. Erratic access to knowledge, information, and skills that fluctuate from different higher to lower growth and development stages. This includes abilities like their moods, their fears, their preferences, and anxieties. They may no longer be toilet trained or uh, have accidents. Uh, they're being able to read or spell or language sophistication. They have difficulties in school. They have a feeling of guilt or shame and inappropriate sexual behavior are among some of the signs. So let's talk about alters. Hear about alters when it comes to DID. The word alter is short for alternative personalities. In very loose terms, these are other people, separate, unique beings that live inside a person with DID. More specifically, these personalities, states, alters have their own enduring pattern of perceiving, relating to, and thinking about the environment and self. These alters have a strong sense of self, have their own behavior, consciousness, memory, perception, cognition, and or sensory motor functioning. These alters have different accents, affects, memories, ages, names, functions, genders, and other traits. Collectively, all alters together are known as the system. The person or alter in control of the body is known as the host. The host may or may not be the individual's original personality. In treatment, some people wish to integrate the different alters, meaning that the alter combines with all other alters, or the host to become part of them, no longer a completely separate personality or system. Other people do not wish to integrate. They want to maintain the group, often seeing them as family. At the end of the day, it's their choice. And when they're in therapy, they are choosing to get to the bottom of the trauma, understand, heal, and cope. So let's talk about the most common type of alters. Child and adolescent alters. Young alters are often the first discovered in therapy and are the most common type. These alters emerge to handle the abuse that the original personality couldn't tolerate. A DID alter may be known as a little if the alter acts 
seven years old or younger. Then there's the protector or rescuer altar. These altars can be of any age and were created to save the original person from intolerable situations. These altars are often tougher and braver than the original personality. Next, there are persecutor altars. These DID altars are modeled after the abuser. Persecutor altars create negative messages blaming the original identity for the abuse and telling them that they need to die or pay for it. Often the host will act on these negative messages in self-harm or even attempt suicide. This is often when the person is first assessed and seen by the mental health care system. Then there is the perpetrator altars. They're also modeled after the abuser. These altars direct their hostility outward rather than inward toward the other personalities. And last, there are the avenger altars. These altars hold the rage from the childhood abuse and may seek retribution from the abuser. They tend to express the anger of the entire altar system and can be hostile. There are as many other possible altars as there are personality types. And of course, they're different from person to person. So what is the treatment? Generally, people with DID can get treatment in two ways, inpatient or outpatient. Some people can be successfully treated in an outpatient setting by a mental health professional, depending on the severity of the disorder and the degree to which it is affecting that person's life. For others, a facility that specializes in treatment of DID is the best choice, especially if the person is experiencing frequent or profound and damaging dissociative episodes with all the multiple alters and long-term episodes of amnesia caused by frequent appearance of these alters. An intensive inpatient DID treatment facility is most beneficial. The therapies would involve a full workup of their physical health, blood tests, vital signs, and medical history. Their physical health must be able to withstand intensive treatment. The treatment would likely involve individual frequent psychotherapy sessions, specific behavioral therapies like DBT and CBT, family therapy, trauma-focused therapies like EMDR, anger management, sleep hygiene, psychoeducation, neurofeedback, arts and music therapies, mindfulness and meditation, yoga, acupuncture, massage. They may attend group therapy if they can tolerate it. Like I said, each treatment is individualized, and treatment is long and difficult and lifelong. However, that doesn't mean they don't get better, but unfortunately, it's a long road. Next, I put together some clips from an HBO documentary about three separate people with personality with dissociative identity disorder, but I decided to focus in on one woman in particular by the name of Gretchen. This documentary was made by Michael Merendorf and Gloria Steinem in 1983 by HBO. I found this documentary to be very relevant because even though methods for treating DID may have changed, DID itself is still and always has been what it is. So I think that you'll find this story very interesting, very touching. Here's a clip from the upcoming episode. I requested when we started this that please, when someone is out, will they please write the date, the day, and the time, and where they were, who they might have seen, if they would please give me an idea of where the body's been. Because it was hard for me not to know where this body's been to come out and find myself in a place or 
realize that half a day has been half a day is gone? Did we go to class? Did we meet who we were supposed to meet? It's an amazing story. That episode will be following this one. They'll be posted at the same time. So keep your eyes open for it. I think once you listen to this, you're going to want to listen to that because it really tells Gretchen's story and shows you what a person goes through with DID. But that's not it. Because I believe it's that time for the Suture Room. Room, room, room. Come on in. See me. Meet me at the Suture Room. I will greet you at the front and take you down to where you'll find a nice, cozy, dimly lit room with one of the bariatric beds that are the bigger beds that are very, very comfortable. You'll have warm blankies, a couple of pillows, and today on the menu is vanilla pudding. Yes, it may look a little bit like some of the things that might come out of a drake, but the great thing about it is that it never goes bad and it never goes off. You can't tell whether it's a week or one hour old. I'm also going to bring you a tea with a little package of sugar and milk on the side. I don't know, sometimes I would take those little packages of milk, those little saucers, and pretend that I'm having the world's smallest tea party. And of course, I'm here for you. If you'd like anything else, just let me know. Today's suture room is called AMA Against Medical Advice. I was having a little chat with one of my nurse friends, Kim. We used to work together, and she was one of my favorite nurses to work with. Hi, Kim. And she reminded me of a time we worked together, and I had this particular patient, and I was killing myself laughing when we were, when she reminded me about it. So here it goes. I hope you find it just as funny. I was working in the acute care area. Ambulance arrived with a patient, a person that they had found unconscious on the sidewalk. They clearly had been drinking. They were very, very, very intoxicated. They were breathing on their own, that type of thing, but they needed to be inside and observed. So I was the lucky one. They brought in, put into my bed, I hooked them up to all the monitors and, and was watching the patient, making sure that they were safe and okay. A few hours later, this guy woke up, confused. He didn't know where he was, he didn't know what was going on. Last thing he remembered was drinking and now here he is in the hospital and he wanted none of it. He started to take off his leads, unhook himself, all that kind of stuff, and, and got up to leave. So, of course, I went to his bedside and said, I need you to stay a little bit longer, explain to him how he was brought in, and that it'd be best if he stayed and we can observe him until he was more sober and can make a better decision whether it was okay to go home or not, or if he was ready to go home safely. Well... He told me to fuck off and he got out of bed and put his clothes on and proceeded to 
very wobbly, make his way out of the department. Of course, I had the charge nurse involved to try to help me. Uh, got the doctor involved. Got everybody around to try to help keep this gentleman in the department so he could be safe and sound. But he was, like I said, having none of it. He was very aggressive and basically started to take off and run out of the department. But there's a factor here that's important to know. The door he was heading to to leave is locked. It's where patients enter and exit the department, but we keep it locked so just not just anybody can wander in. And of course, trying to keep the safety of patients like the self from taking off. So a button is used to unlock the door. It could be from a clerk, it could be from a nurse. He didn't know that this door was locked, or at least he didn't like it. And he was holding onto the handle and reaming on the door, shaking it really hard to try to get out. Well, at that moment, the button was pushed, the door flung open, smacked this guy in the head, and knocked him out cold. <laughs> this is where we gathered around him, put him back on the stretcher, took him back into my room, and now I was treating him for a concussion and monitoring him for that. God. Of course, I was freaking out. I'm thinking, you know, it's all my fault. I didn't stop this guy. Oh my God. If I was able to do a better job, he wouldn't have ran out the door and got a concussion. Anyway, so yeah, I got him back and he was still ornery. And uh, I guess the moral to this story is do not leave against medical orders because something bad may happen to you. <laughs> In this case, it wasn't the cure that killed you. Okay, so thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed what you listened to so far and keep your eyes out for the next part of this episode so that you can enjoy learning more about D-I-D. Take care of each other, love each other, and most importantly, take care of yourself. Peace. One love. True crime and it gets none realer. Sometimes it'll be the cure that'll kill you. Gotta watch out, yeah, you gotta watch your back. Cause you don't wanna be another episode on stat. Thank you for tuning in, learn a thing or two. These medical mysteries can be unbelievable, yeah. Subscribe, make sure you do that so you'll be tuned in and be ready for the next show. Stat. <laughs>